All right, good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. It is Tuesday, February 13th, not February 14th. Men, I hope you're ready for tomorrow. And if you have to ask what it is that I speak of, you are lost and hopeless. But anyway, today is Tuesday, February 13th. Welcome to this round of our pastoral devotionals. Uh, we are working our way through what is undoubtedly one of the most controversial, debated um, topics or, or scripture passages in, in all the New Testament. And of course, this is Matthew 16. And we spent yesterday um, doing kind of an overview of this passage, trying to situate it and what's happening before and after. And then I gave you some assignments to go look up and check on various issues in the text. And I won't rehearse those this morning. You'll have to go back and watch yesterday's or listen to yesterday's devotional. But I do want to pick it back up this morning. I want to read the totality of this, um, of the of the of these verses, these eight verses. We preached and looked at the first four last week or the first five, and now we're really honing in on the heart of the text, verses 17 or verses 18 through 20. All right, let's read and dig in. Now, when Jesus came, this is Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for... Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So if we were to kind of hone in here, and I would say verse 18 is the, is the central pivotal verse um, because it is a promise. It is a declaration of what Jesus will do. And we find this, of course, in verse 18. He says, I will build my church, okay? I'm going to say that everything else that it, we find in these verses is flows from that is a is attached to that right how will he build um what exactly goes into the building what will be the results of jesus building his church and i think it would be be be, be first what our priority would be to see is to make sure we know what jesus means when he talks about the church and one of the things that i mentioned in the sermon on Sunday and last week, a lot of times we think about the church in terms of its organizational realities or that it's an institution or it's a building. And while all of those things um, are, are related, they're all way downstream, they're all secondary for what the church actually is ontologically, okay? So the word for church, and again, this is part of what I get when I go, and look in my Logos um, software, um, which has resources for the original languages, or you can find the same in a study Bible. 
um, or, um, or, or even an online commentary or, or a, a physical commentary. The word church literally means, of course, ecclesia. And um, it's a compound word. And it, it, it means, in, in essence, the called out ones, okay? The ones who are called out of something into something else, okay? And so, so ek and then klesia. Now, the way that it's interpreted, okay, you can be interpreted a variety of ways into English, whether you want to call that a gathering or assembly, okay, or a church. So one thing to, to note is that this word ecclesia um, has been used um, is in, in ancient literature to 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 refer to a variety, right, of different um, gatherings. Okay, so even the uh, the riot in Ephesus in in Acts nineteen um, is a um, it's a gathering. It's an it's an assembly. Okay. Um, but, but in this context, okay, in the context of God's people, it refers to those who are anointed, separated, called out, and part of that assembly of people that God is gathering, okay? So, so the church, by definition, are, is Christian, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that non-Christians don't go to church, but they are not a part of what, what Jesus refers to here as the church, okay? The called out ones. And what Jesus is promising here is that he will build his church. Now, if we want to get a sense of, of what does this term mean, and I'm trying to do this on the fly, okay, as we're all sitting here and you're looking at me and I'm live on, on, on television here, uh, so we go back to this idea of build. Okay, what does that mean? It means literally to construct, to to um, to engineer a building. Okay, and so applied to this idea of I will build my church. Jesus is saying I will spiritually build up, constitute um, my people. Okay, that's an ironclad promise. Uh, nothing will deter it. Nothing will hinder it. Um, I that is my mission, and I will accomplish it. Okay, that's that's the ironclad promise. Okay, and this is this is crucial to understand. Okay, because um, a lot of times we can be afraid of for the church, right? Or, or you may hear a lot of this um, idea of deconstructing, or why are people abandoning the church? Okay, or if our country goes down, if America goes, America goes down, the church will go with it. And let, let me just say, those are all ideas that we are importing into our idea of what church is. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is that He will save His people that he will gather his people from all times and all places, and that at the end of this age, this universal church will be gathered to him, and they will be his. They will be his possession. Um, he will lose not one of them. Not one of them will be 
cast out, those who are a part, a true part of the gathered together. This is what we call the universal church or the invisible church, okay? So a lot of times we think this promise to build my church, that that's sort of an ironclad guarantee about how any local church will function or thrive, and that's not true. See, Jesus here doesn't say, I will build in the same way um, or constitute in the same way each particular local expression of the church. Now, understand, if, if the local expression of the church, um, let's say Four Oaks, is growing, is thriving, is flourishing, and people are coming to know the Lord, that is Jesus building his church. Absolutely, okay? But just because, um, let's say 100 years from now, Four Oaks is not here, okay, then we wouldn't be able to say, well, God has fallen down on his promises, or God is not building his church. Oh, no, no, no. God is building his church, right? It may not be in this locality or in this expression, but he's building it nonetheless, and he's gathering his people together. So, so for example, when we took this uh, trip to Greece this past year and, and, and looking at the churches that Paul founded in all of these places, Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi. Here's what's interesting about all those places. Um, first of all, all of those cities don't exist anymore, okay? Only the ruins. They're, they're an archaeological um, remnant, okay? And no one lives there. Um, so, and the church is not there any longer. So the letters that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesus is not there. The letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, church of Philippi is not there. Well, that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, Corinth is not there. You, you get the idea, right? Does that mean that Christ has failed to build his church? Absolutely not, right? Um, he's promised to build this church on the truth of the gospel, on this confession that Peter has uttered. And if a pe certain people in a certain time, in a certain location, fail to express that or, or build on that confession, then Jesus will build somewhere else, right? The whole point here is that this is an ironclad, absolute promise that God will have his way in the life of his people, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what's interesting about that terminology is that gates are not an, an offensive weapon of war, right? Gates are meant to defend. Gates are meant to enclose. And so we sometimes we think the idea is that the forces of hell are coming against the church and the church and, and, the, and the forces of hell will not prevail against it. That's not what that's true, but that's not what the text says. The text says it's actually the church that's on the move. It's the church that's on mission. It's the church that's growing and spreading and being built by God, by Jesus, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, death itself cannot hinder the church. So even though all of us who are part of here at, uh, here at Four Oaks, maybe we're all, we know we will all be dead in 100 years, most likely most of us, that doesn't mean that God has not built his church, right? Um, death will not overcome the church. 
um, because Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. And so he's purchased those who belong to him. And when we start to wrap our mind around the, the, the spiritual reality that this is, I mean, it's just an, a massive point of assurance, right? The disciples were going to need this. They were going to need this promise when the people of God were being persecuted, when the people of God were being martyred, when the people of God were dying or suffering. They could go back to this promise and say, regardless of what is happening physically to the people of God, God is still building his people. God is still gathering a people to himself in all times and all places. And I just think that's such a massive point of encouragement for us, right? That, that we can trust what God is doing, that we can lean upon this promise and know that even if it appears darkness is winning, evil is winning, the witness of the church is waning, it's just an illusion in terms of the larger reality that Jesus is going to have his way and draw his people to himself, okay? So I think that's the heart of this passage and what Jesus is saying. Now, the question is, how will he build his church? Now, as we're going to see tomorrow, the way that biblical interpreters interpret that particularly Roman Catholics versus what, what we might call more biblically faithful position um, are vastly different, okay? And this is important to, to understand how is it that Jesus builds his church, that he does it through human means, okay? But what human means? What's the scope of those means? What's the limit of those means? And you're going to have to find out more by joining us tomorrow morning as we delve into it. Let's pray. Lord, let, us, let it be enough for today that we say that you are building your church, you are having your way, that you are gathering your people, and nothing can stop that. Uh, the gates of hell cannot withstand the growth and expansion of your church. So Lord, let us walk in confidence. Father, we pray that um, you would encourage our hearts today with this truth and this promise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.